from the Kramer Basketball Headquarters in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You are listening to the Coach's Edge podcast, powered by Coach. Here is your host, Steve Kramer. Skills pay the bills, baby. Skills pay the bills. And in this episode, this is part one of an in-season player development presentation that we did about a month ago. And we're looking at the macro and the micro. And what I mean by that is for this part one podcast, you'll hear me talking about in the presentation, big picture concepts and how I view practice planning from a player development perspective. And then when you listen to part two of this podcast episode, it'll be the audio from our presentation as I'm sharing more about what it looks like from an actual in the gym, one day of practice, you have 15 minutes, you have 30 minutes and you want to focus on skills. I'll talk a little bit about the pre-practice routine and how that can flow into skill development being a priority at the beginning of the practice. So make sure you come back tomorrow and listen to part two of this two-part in-season player development series. Thanks for listening. Let's get to the show. Player development, in-season player development. What's the goal? The goal is to continue to improve throughout the course of the year. Nobody wants to be their best self the first game, the first week. This is constant growth, constant progression, consistent learning as we continue to go throughout the course of the season. So as we dig into this presentation, I'll really be hitting on two different things. I'll be hitting on kind of the macro, the big picture of just practice planning concepts with an emphasis on player development. When when I think of practice, you know, some coaches will think of it as more of maybe being more offensive minded. Some will think of it more defensive minded in what they do. This is what we do on offense. This is what we do on defense. My mind just naturally goes to, well, how do we do whatever it is that we're going to do? That's kind of where I go to first. How do we shoot the ball, right? How do we dribble the ball against pressure? And then you break into the details of situational, the why, the when, the where, all of those <clears throat> different things. So when it comes to practice, we want to grow. We want to have success, right? And I'm always telling our players, the more you practice, the better you get. The better you get, the more fun you're going to have, the more fun you have, the more you're going to practice. And that is the constant circle, right? Is um, no matter if it's our favorite drill or our least favorite drill, if I know I'm getting better, because of what we are doing, I'm in. Because I may not enjoy it in that moment, but I know I'm going to enjoy it at some point because it's making me a better player and that's going to lead to individual and more team success. So as you think about your process to help your players and your team improve throughout the course of the season, first and foremost, we got to get to what's our style of play? What is our offensive and defensive system and our skill development needs to complement the style that we play? We're not going to be able to cover everything, but on a daily basis, can you say, okay, there's two or three important skills that fit into our system and we are working on those things. We are hammering those things. Consistent, consistent, consistent. That's growth over time. It's one thing to work hard. It's a completely different thing to do so on a consistent basis 
that's where you separate yourself. Another piece. So we just talked about the team concept, your style of play, but what goes with that hand in hand is understanding our individual players. Understand the players on your team, the style of play that they have. I like to break players and teams down into three categories regarding their strengths, their weaknesses, and their liabilities. I would say we want to play to our strengths and strengthen our strengths. Weaknesses, what are they? Can we hide them during games and can we improve them during practice? And then liabilities get you beat. And as an individual, liabilities get you on the bench. And so we can't have the liabilities. And so being able, in my mind, to recognize our strengths and try to get those to happen the most in a game. And then to look at the bottom level, which is our liabilities, and how can we limit those and get rid of those so that we are much more in this strength and weakness category than strength, weakness, and liability. It's our job to put our players in a position to succeed for the benefit of the group. And we can do that by understanding their strengths, weaknesses, and liabilities, and making sure that we're consistently working on what happens most. In my experience working with players, you get players at camp, they'll put in certain player, they'll put in a little bit of work and think they're really good. They think they got it down and they're ready for something more advanced. In fact, they don't have it down at all. And then you got the, the really great players. They put in a ridiculous amount of work. They're meticulous with their mindset, their, their focus, their attention to detail. They'll do it for an extremely long period of time working on basic skills. And then they'll come back the next day say, man, I still need to get better at that. I still need to work on that. And if we can instill that type of mindset with our players, we're going to get much farther with them. Because when it comes to developing individual players for team success, we have to have the belief in ourselves so that they can have the buy-in. When we walk into the gym, whether it's the most basic finishing drill, form shooting drill, whatever it is, if you walk in with the swag and the belief and you, and you say to your kids, like, I know this will pay off. We have to be diligent. We have to stay consistent with some of these basic skills. And if you get bored, right? You know what's not boring? Getting better. You know what's not boring? Winning, right? So we have to buy in. I believe in this, right? And that rubs off on the kids, right? You have to implement the belief in them regardless of what it is that you're working on because they're not always going to like what it is that you're teaching them. <clears throat> Couple thoughts. This is one of my, my pet peeves. We'll talk about that in a little bit too, but if it doesn't apply to how you play, do not do it. Just don't do it, right? If a if, if there's a drill that your kids like and you've done it your whole life and boy, this, this is great. It's a good start for practice, but it's not how you play. Don't do it. Don't do it. Find something else that kids like to do that applies to how you guys play. Figure it out, right? Ask somebody else for help. But there's no way throughout the course of a season, this is valuable time. We talk about in-season player development. What are we really talking about? We're talking about our practices. We're talking about designing our practices with the opportunity to build players that are skilled and getting better throughout the course of the year. We don't have time to waste. 
I'm, if, if you have extra time and the kids can hang out and shoot around and, and do some whatever games at the end or whatever, fine. But if we are in practice, I am not going to do anything that doesn't apply to what we are trying to get done in a game. We did a coach's poll, I don't know, a year or so ago with some of our coaches edge members. We talked about the length of practice and we also asked <clears throat> throughout the course of the year, do you lengthen your practice? Do you shorten your practice throughout the course of the year? And we got some really great feedback and all, all the answers made sense, but I would ask as well, how much time are you dedicating to your skill development? And a, and a lot of what will come back was, boy, we just don't have enough time. I'd love to work on more skills. I'd love to spend more time working on shooting the basketball as an example. But then I looked at how much time we're spending on practice and I'm seeing coaches are shortening their practice throughout the course of the year, or in general, a practice might be an hour and a half compared to closer to two hours. And I'm saying, so which, which one is it, right? because it can't be both unless you literally have an hour and a half every time and somebody else is coming into the gym, you know, coach Fayella in, in California, huge school, tons of stuff going on. Maybe that's a good reason. Right. But there's other situations where you're cutting back practice, <clears throat> but you're saying, man, I wish we had more time to work on skills. Lengthen your practice. If you lengthen your practice by 15 minutes, but you're doing shooting competitions, you're playing one-on-one, -on -one, you're doing small-sided games, you're spending some more time scrimmaging. Kids like that, right? And they're going to get better because of it. So if you're thinking, boy, I got to save their legs. If you played a double overtime game, it was a long road trip. I understand. That's not what I'm talking about as far as shortening your practice the next day. I'm talking about on a consistent basis, okay? Do you really need to shorten practice? You want to, you want to, not be so intense on it, just do more shooting the next day. Maybe you go for two hours, but you spend a ton of time shooting the next day instead, right? Pick a theme for practice. What are one or two things that you really want to emphasize? And then how are we going to work on it? And I'll dig into the teaching, the training, and the competing, okay? Um, but listen, hear me out here. There's so many coaches in, in this membership specifically to have multi-sport athletes. That's phenomenal. Okay, yeah, multi-sport athletes are playing multiple sports. So here's my thing on the practice time. If these kids are football and basketball players in the fall and they're track, softball, baseball, soccer players, whatever it is, in the spring, okay, and they come in to basketball season with you, you have to turn them into basketball players. They're not basketball players coming in. You got to turn them into basketball players. And you only got four or five months or less with them throughout the course of, of the season. So now you're going to cut practice short. I mean, I'm going to get my money's worth out of these kids, especially if they're not the type of kids that are playing basketball year round. If you run into a program, uh, again, when I was an assistant at Perrysburg High School, we had one year, I think we had one kid that played football. The next year, we had two kids that played football on our team, okay? So we had kids do an open gym consistently. We had a strength and conditioning program that they could do. We had basketball players coming in. Now, when you got basketball players coming in, we didn't need to go for the full two hours. But when you're somewhere else, and these kids haven't touched the ball for three months, you need some more time to turn them into players, right? And if you think two hours is boring, 
find a way to make it fun. Play more one-on-one, do more shooting games, do more scrimming, scrimmaging games. It will work. And we talked about the, the teaching, the training, the competing aspect of practice. That's a little bit of what I'm talking about with the themes, okay? So I'm talking a little bit about with the themes. If it's a really tough game the night before, you spend the next day a little lighter on their body, right? And say, hey, this is a teaching-focused practice. We're going to spend some time reviewing the game, and we're going to walk through some of our motions and our sets. It's going to be a teaching focus. Or maybe, you know, we just want to get a lot of reps in today, okay? So the emphasis is going to be on training, high repetitions in the skills that we want to continue to work on as players. You may have another practice. You say, boy, we got to get after it today. We got to push it today. The focus of our practice is competing. We are getting after it. That's the main kind of umbrella over what a practice might look like. But with that said, every practice should sandwich teaching, training, and competing throughout. We don't want to block these in big chunks. Old school practice, bunch of teaching in the beginning, a lot of talking from the coach for the first half hour. Next half hour, bunch of training, bunch of reps, bunch of block reps. At the end of the practice, what do you do? Okay, now we get to scrimmage, right? That's an old school practice, right? You don't do that anymore, right? You might teach, train, and compete within the first 15 minutes of of a practice. You may have kids competing in a transition drill that you want to focus on, right? You say, oh, something's not quite going well, so we stop it. And we teach for 90 seconds. Here's the things we need to do. Here's the locations that we need to be in. We run, need to run deeper. We need to run wider. We need to make sure the ball crosses half court with a pass instead of the dribble. We need to make sure the first guy down is getting blocked, block strong side. We need to make sure our trailers, you know, get, get into the top of the key, wherever that might be. You're teaching, okay? We say, because that was ugly when we competed, we're not going to teach and then go back to competition. Let's teach it and then go back to training. Maybe that's taking some defenders out. Maybe that's just working on a three on O series. Okay, we did that for a few minutes. Got it down, guys, girls. Okay, boom. Let's get back into the competition that we were just doing. That's an example of sandwiching the teaching, training, and competing throughout the course of the practice. We sprinkle these things in throughout. Next one, drill types. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on drill types because I could talk for way too long on drill types, Okay block or randomized practice i'll put this simple when you're when you're doing drills that are block drills are really good for mastering a skill right let's say you want to work on your shooting technique and so it's just one shot after the next and you're concentrating on index fingers on the ball you're concentrating on palm underneath the ball before you get into the follow-through you're concentrating on that shoulder with that base and the bounce and just rep 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 Those block drills are great for mastering your skill. But the randomized drills, that's the best way to get the skill to translate into the game because just like a random drill, games are random. You don't know when, where you're going to have to make a certain decision and then pull it off game speed when somebody's trying to stop you, right? And so when I get asked, you know, what drills do you recommend? Yes, and it depends. Yes, and it depends. Depends. And here's what I mean by that. I'll give you an example. If we have a group of players, 
and they don't play much out of season. I recommend doing more random game-based drills in practice compared to the block repetitions, working on more technique, working on more form, because these kids haven't played a ton of AAU in the spring. They haven't played fall ball or anything like that. Maybe you didn't get them for a full month of June. They're not going to a bunch of open gyms. They haven't played enough basketball to truly feel the reactions needed in a game. So we want to give them those opportunities a ton throughout the course of the year, especially in the preseason. Other side of this, if you have kids that play a lot of basketball outside of the season, the AAU, right, they're going different. Maybe they have a basketball trainer, whatever that might be. So because of the amount and the volume of basketball that they've experienced throughout the course of the year, playing five on five, going up and down, that isn't a player that I need to have and then spend another a ton of time working again on a bunch of the game random reads. Of course, we're going to do that, right? We're going to do some of everything. But those are the players, because of the amount of time that they've played the game, I can get specific. Hey, let, let's, let's tweak the shot a little bit. Let's work on the footwork on certain finishes. Let's work on the left hand and build it up a little bit more so some block high reps in certain areas can be very effective for players of that type of situation. The tough part about coaching is you probably got players that are both. You probably have a couple players on your team. The basketball is their absolute favorite sport. They play all the time. And then you have other players on your team who don't touch a ball until the first day of practice. They put it down the last day of practice or when you lose or win the last game, whatever that might be. Every player is different. So here's some drill options that we could use. Talked about uh, the block reps. <clears throat> Could be one on oh, could be five on oh, but you're doing the same thing again and again and again. What I like better are variable practice drills, right? So instead of doing spot shooting 10 in the corner, we're changing up the shot type, right? So if we're working on shooting, instead of shooting five threes in the corner, five threes in the wing, five threes up top, so on and so forth. Okay, we got 25 shots up or 25 makes up. Instead, we say, hey, we're going to shoot one in the corner. We're going to sprint up to the top of the key, shoot a three there. We're going to sprint to the opposite corner, shoot a three there. We're going to go to the opposite wing, shoot one there. We're going to sprint to the other wing and shoot a three there. We're sprinting. We're cutting. We're shooting from different locations. we got to work on regaining our balance. We can't get into that rhythm because everything that's occurred in the location has changed. And so it's variable, right? Another example would be you shoot one in the corner. You sprint to the opposite corner, you shoot one there, you lift up to the wing, shoot one there, you drift back down to the same corner, and maybe you take a shot fake and do a pull-up. And then from there, you sprint down and the drill resets, right? So it could be like corner three, corner three, wing three, pull-up, jump shot. Corner three, corner three, corner three, wing three, pull-up, jump shot. Variable drills. Another uh, opportunity would be guided reps, bones over cones. That could be as simple as, let's say Coach Fail and I are partners at the beginning of practice. He's at the uh, right elbow and I have the basketball underneath. And I throw the basketball out to him and I get into kind of a dummy defense closeout because I want Coach to work on a stride stop finish. 
where he drives the right lane line and he really works on stepping in with his left shoulder, his left hip, his left foot, bumping me, and then body on, ball away. He's really extending away with that right hand, getting it up nice off the glass. Let's say that's the finish that we want to work on. It's bones over cones. I'm not going to stand there and have him do it on air, but I'm also not going to go live with coach when I throw it out to him. I'm throwing it out to him, and I'm getting my body out there, again, dummy defense, in a position where it makes sense for him to use that finish just like he would in a game. I'm guiding that rep, right? And then from there, we build in the reps and the re the decision-making aspect, right? So let's, let's say we've worked on two different finishes. Maybe it was a stride stop finish going up strong, and maybe it was a donut out of it. So we, we fake that finish, and then we pivot away, and we got a little hook. And so those are his two options. And so I throw the basketball out to him, Say, hey, those are the two options. If I don't cut you off, get into that stride stop. And if I do cut you off, we're going to work on that donut finish. Boom. He doesn't know which one I'm going to do, right? It's random. He's working on the reps and the reads. Lot fast. And then obviously live play, whether that's more even setup or this is a small advantage or a big advantage into our drills that we're doing are obviously beneficial and start to look more and more like what we're actually going to do in a game offensively and defensively. I could talk on and on about different variations and tiers and constraints. And Coach Troshak talked about that a little bit in the presentation last week, <clears throat> last week as well. But I don't want us to overthink it. Master what happens most. Work on what happens most. And if you can cover these three things, you're going to get better. You will get better. If you get a high amount of reps in at an intensity that is applicable to what you're doing in a game and it resembles what you're going to do in a game, you will get better. So of, of all the previous slides that we've talked about, if you're getting a ton of reps in and we need all three, if you're getting a lot of reps in and it applies to the game, but you're not going at a game pace, a game intensity, you're not going to get better. If you're getting a lot of reps in and you're working hard at it, but it doesn't apply to the game, you're not going to get better. And if you're working hard and it applies to the game, but you don't do it very often, you're not going to get better. We need all three. And then from there, man, we got to make sure we're competing. Not everything needs to be competition because there's times where we want to pull the competition back so that we can teach say, hey, I don't care about you winning. In fact, I'd encourage you to make a bunch of mistakes doing this next drill right here because working on finishing with your left is something we have to do, right? And I know you can blow by this guy and score to the right. Don't worry about winning this drill, right? But for the most part, competition is going to resemble what we're doing in the game. We have to make sure we're competing, not just at the end of practice, but throughout. Moving on my pet piece for practice. Three-man weave, ah, man. If it's just a three-man weave, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings there. If you're just doing a three-man weave, I wouldn't do it anymore. Now, with that said, there's some great three-man weaves that turn into like a two-on-one. There's a three-man weave that I saw Coach Arnold do this summer where it turned into like a three, three weave to half court. It really was hardly a three-man weave. It was like two passes. And then we get into different types of actions that he would talk about as far as dribble handoff, away screen slip, and 
things like that are really, really good. But if it's just base three man or three on oh, five on oh, weave, just do something that you would do in a game instead. Instead of doing five man weave down, do five on oh transition break that you would do in a game. Another, another one that I can't stand is the, the pre practice time. I think it's a waste of time for most programs. I think that practice starts as a player when you walk in the gym. Practice does not start when the coach blows the whistle. Practice does not start when coach huddles everybody up. Practice starts when you as an individual walk into the gym laced up. That's when practice starts. And so it doesn't matter what time it is. Say practice starts at 3.15. If you're in the gym at 3.05, you have begun practice. And so to be able to show our kids that when you come into practice, before we've quote unquote started, there's things that we can already begin to do. So I call our pre-practice warm-up, and I'll talk about a little bit of that routine as well, how that can be beneficial. Once you're going to take some while to explain it and walk through it, but once your kids have it, you're giving yourself extra time for practice. You're getting more skill development in, right? A lot of good things are happening in what I've usually seen as a wasted period of time for most teams. A couple other things I'm not a huge fan of, static stretching. Like they call it a warm-up for a reason. You got to warm your body up. Right, so is your body warming up when it's, you know, 50 degrees and there's a blizzard outside in the gym and you're trying to figure out the phone? Um, no, you're not getting warmed up. Dynamic movements. OK. And then one of my least favorite things is. And I'm guilty of all of these things, by the way, that I'm listening out. That's why I put them on there, because I'm guilty of everything that I've listed right here. Waiting until the end of scrimmage. Like it's a reward or something. No, we play basketball games. And so we need to play basketball in practice, right? So you'd be playing five on five in the first 15 minutes of practice if you want. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, I got to put my money where my mouth is a little bit and get a little more specific, right? Because everything so far has been talking about the big picture, right? More of the philosophy of how skill development can take a priority in your practice. But what does it actually look like? Okay. I'm not going to dig super deep into my pre-practice routine that I had as a pro, but I'm going to share a little bit of it with you in the hopes, not that you do the exact same thing that I did, but it can give you an idea for some things that might work for your players. That was part one of our two-part series on in-season player development. Make sure you check back tomorrow for part two as we talk about what 15 or 30 minutes in gym could look like with a real emphasis on player development. I'll give you some examples. In the presentation itself, uh, I show a little bit of video. It's you know about 20 slides of going through some different things. So there's a lot more that you'll pick up from the actual video presentation. Uh, this is in our coachesedge.coach membership for all of our coaches to check out. Um, but I'll give this out to anybody. So if you simply email me, contact at kramerbasketball.com, I will send you about a 15 minute, a 15, a 50 minute video presentation that I'm happy to share with you on overarching concepts of in-season player development. And you'll also get a feel for what 15 or 30 minutes of a pre-practice, early practice routine could look like. Thanks for listening. Positive rating review goes a really long way. That's essentially 
that and sharing the episode is the only way this podcast will grow. So uh, if that's you and you've been listening for a while, appreciate you. Those things go a really long way. Thanks again. Get after today.